Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first episode, first official episode of Creator Crush, the show that loves to bring to you people who love making things. We want to dive into their brains and see what makes them tick and talk to them about their passions. And tonight we are joined by the mother of dragons herself, a <laughs> beloved fantasy author of Dragonlance and other wonderful series, Miss Margaret Weiss. Margaret, welcome to the program. We are so happy to have you. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so honored to be your first guest. Yay! <laughs> Absolutely. We, we've done a handful of interviews like these before. We just really wanted to break it out and make sure that the person that we were talking to got a lot of a lot of attention. So Creator Crush is our, you know, people we crush on, like in high school, <laughs> you know, but in a really fun way. Well, cool. <laughs> so we're super happy to have you. Um to start with, one of the things I, I think everybody's just needs to know about about you. We've talked about Dragonlance and everything, but I think the number one question on everyone's mind is, "What is Flyball, and how <laughs> do you play it?" Uh, Flyball is a, uh, a a sport for dogs uh, race. Um, you've got a team of dogs, uh, four dogs on a team, and. Um, there's a lane with four jumps, and at the end is a, uh, a spring-loaded box that shoots out a tennis ball when the dog hits it. So the first dog on the team goes over down the lane, over the jumps, hits the box, catches the ball, brings it back. Second dog on the team goes down the lane, hits the box, gets the ball, brings it back, and you're racing against another team of dogs in the other lane. That's incredible. So it's two dogs go down on your team, and they both have to hit a box, grab a ball, and bring it back. All four dogs on the team have to oh, do that. That's and they have to pass each other, and uh, fastest team wins. That is an unbelievable level of coordination between your dogs, and I think it, it says a lot that you have four champion uh, fly ball dogs uh, <laughs> in your in your coaching, you know, in, as, a, as a team. That is super cool. We were both very curious when we... Uh, we saw your email. We were like, "Oh man, flyball!" What's for? Yeah, I was like, "Steven, what is, is it? Is that like disc golf?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can Google flyball, and uh, you'll see videos of it. There are teams, well, pretty much all over the world, um, that that compete, and uh, it's a lot of fun. It's very loud. There's lots of barking. Uh, the dogs get very excited, and they love it. They have a great time. That's How did awesome. you get into to fly ball with the puppies? Uh, the um, the lady who ran Sheltie Rescue here uh, that I got, well, she actually ran Blue uh, Collie Rescue, and I got my first dog, Tess, from her. And she ran fly ball and invited me down to watch. And I saw it and just fell in love with it. And uh, Tess didn't turn out to be a flyball dog, but uh, my uh, second dog I got, Dixie. Uh, Dixie was my first flyball dog, and we ended up joining Chris's team. And then I got Joey the thug, was from Chris. And um, so just got my other dogs various places. But uh, so now I've got uh, two border collies, Dixie, who's retired, and Pika, my new dog, and uh, the two Shelties. Joey and Clancy. That's I love that one of your puppies is named Tika. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I had to. <laughs> I, w- I think I would name every pet I have after a, a character. <laughs> it's a good naming convention. Yeah. Well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I have to kind of watch it with the names because when, like I say, there is a lot of barking and when I yell at the dogs for them to come back, cause I'm, you know, all of us on the, all of the, all of the people on the team, we're, we're kind of running with our dogs. Uh, we have to line up and let the dog, each person lets the dogs go at the certain time. And then you run down the lane after the dogs and then turn around and run back to encourage them to come back oh, Gosh. and, uh, really fast. And, uh, so um, when I yell for the dogs to be heard over the barking, I like a, a short name, two syllables that got, that has consonants in it. So that that's makes sense. Yeah, Joey was the only one that didn't, but then Joey was named before I got him. So, oh, so are they all rescues? 
No, um, Dixie was from a breeder, um, and uh, Tika is actually from the same breeder, and uh, they're kind of distantly related. Like Dixie's mother's grandmother is, or grandniece is Tika's mother, something like that. I don't. Oh my gosh, that's so but, cool! Yeah. <laughs> it's a big family of uh, sports heroes there. That's that's fantastic. Yes, right. That's great. Yeah, yeah, this lady breeds. She breeds her dogs specifically for sports, not for show or anything else. Which is why I went to her. Oh, that's that's super awesome. Well, I'm glad I'm glad now we know and we've got a we've been filled in and and that's actually super interesting. Now I'm going to YouTube videos of Flyball. I was going to say I want to look yeah. up a bunch. Of, yeah, I think that's as much exercise for you as it would be for them if you're having to run up and down the lanes. Yeah, it really is, and uh, you know, and hanging on to the dogs because they really want to go. And uh, in fact, Joey never likes to wait his turn. If <laughs> I don't let him go when he thinks I should, he'll try to bite me. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> just like yes, children there's a reason yeah he's there's a reason he's named the thug <laughs> <laughs> that's so that's great like, um, the little figurine joey the thug um that you have yep. up on your site that made me laugh <laughs> <laughs> that's so great so we do want to dive into a little bit about your creations as well as your your amazing animals we also want to know about all the things that you've dreamed up uh in your in your career <laughs> So I think one of the one of the places we like to start is like what led you to a career in writing. What was the the thing that that got you there? Uh, well, I have always been a storyteller, um, even before I could read. Uh, my um, kindergarten teacher would have me sit in front of the class and tell stories oh, while wow. the kids were like lying on their rugs. They're or, you know. Um, and she ate her lunch or did her paperwork or whatever. So, uh, <laughs> I told the kids stories that I just made up. <laughs> That's and, fantastic. Uh, so uh, it's just, you know, I've always been a storyteller. Um, and actually when I was in high school, I wanted to be an artist. Uh, you know, I wanted to paint like Larry Elmore. <laughs> oh, oh, I wow. didn't know Larry then, but, but I wanted to be an artist and, um, so when I went to college, uh, I was actually going to major in art, and uh, I took a freshman English, and, you know, one day, my teacher asked me to stay after class, which kind of freaked me out, because <laughs> even in college, you know, you think, oh, God, what have I done? I'm in trouble. <laughs> um, and, uh, and she said, you know, she said, I don't know what you're majoring in, but you should be majoring in English and specifically writing because you've got a real talent. And I've always said it was like that moment in the Blues Brothers where the skies open up and the sun shines down on John Belushi and he goes, the band, you know, that was how I felt in that moment. Like this was what I meant to do. And uh, so that day I, I went to the English department and switched my major. That's, that's that? when you told the, the English director, I'm on a mission from God. <laughs> I did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I have to do this. That's that's amazing. So you, you've just always been telling stories. Did you find, um, like, I mean, it's a lot of people tell stories, but sometimes it's difficult to get those stories onto paper. Um, did it take a lot of training for you to, like, figure out how to, to write, or did it just kind of take to it naturally? Well, again, it was kind of like writing was a way I could tell my story. So I I wrote, uh, and I enjoyed writing. Um, in my in ninth grade, my teacher actually flunked me on a book report because I wrote it about Sherlock Holmes, and I was so into Sherlock Holmes at that time that I wrote a 20-page book report in, oh in longhand, you know. And, of course, the other kids were, like, turning in a paragraph, you know, and the teacher accused me of plagiarizing it. And um, oh, my mother, oh, my God, she was so mad. Um, she went up to that school, and she, you know, proved that I hadn't plagiarized it and that it was my work and all this sort of stuff. So I, it was just something I enjoyed doing and I just kept doing it. That's, 
<laughs> so we need to really thank your uh, your college English professor, and I feel yes. like maybe your your high school English professor is not happy <laughs> with themselves right now. <laughs> Did you just mail it's them funny. a copy of, of Dragons of Autumn Twilight one oh. day? <laughs> neater, yeah, neater. I, I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> write, a ver- write a 20 page note and stick it in the inside cover. <laughs> right. Plagiarize <laughs> this. <laughs> this is my work. <laughs> so we, we were both doing a little bit of research, like on your early career, and found you worked at TSR. Um, Yes. Before, before I think you were even published at that point, right? Or, or had you put a book out by then? I had, I had written um, uh, some uh, children's nonfiction books because I, I went to work uh, right out of college. My mother, of course, figured with a degree in writing, I was going to starve to death. So she got me a job at this very small publishing company in Kansas City, and I went to work there as a proofreader. Well, while I was doing that, I'm learning the trade because I'm learning publishing and I'm learning all about how you get agents and how agents get you published and all this sort of stuff. So, um, so I got an agent, uh, Ray Peekner, and Ray began getting me jobs as just kind of bread and butter jobs. Uh, I would write juvenile nonfiction that were sold to libraries at the time. Uh, and I'd write about pretty much anything anybody paid me to write about because I like I liked research. So my first book was a biography of Frank and Jesse James. Because oh, wow. um, being from Missouri, I was born and raised in the same country where the James brothers were born and hung out. And... Um, in fact, when I was working on the book, I discovered that my aunt was related by marriage to Frank and Jesse's mother. Yeah. That's <laughs> really <awesome>. weird. <laughs> so anyway, so that's those were the books I had written. So that when uh, and that's how I got my agent, Ray Peekner, who lived in Milwaukee, and Jean Black, who was the editor at TSR, was looking for uh, an editor who was also a writer. Because at that time, like the Endless Quest books and stuff, uh, the company was putting them out so fast that you not only edited the book, but you pretty much rewrote it or helped write it. Um, so Jean knew Ray, and Jean asked Ray if he had knew anybody who would be interested. And Ray said, well, I have a client who's a, an editor, and she's also a writer. So Ray... I sent, or well, before that, I had read about TSR and Publishers Weekly, and this was when it was huge and was making tons of money um, and, uh, and getting lots of publicity. And uh, I just thought the Dungeons and Dragons game sounded like such a neat game to play with my kids because it you know, fostered creativity and imagination. So a friend of mine actually ran a game for us. And so then in Publishers Weekly, there was an ad in the back of the magazine that said they were looking for a games editor. So I thought, what a great company to work for. And I applied and they sent me a test that I had to take to prove you knew something about the game. Well, I knew nothing about the game, (laughs) but I took the test and I sent it in. And of course, failed miserably and they didn't hire me. Um, but then I, so that was when Jean was looking for a book editor and went to Ray and Ray said, well, one of my clients sent this test in, took this test. So Jean walked over to the games department and pulled my test. And apparently she liked what I had done because she called me up and invited me up for an interview. And so I came to Lake Geneva and she hired me that day, and uh, I moved uh, two kids and three cats to Lake Geneva. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> I feel like I want to want to find these people and just write them a love letter, like <laughs> thank you for paving the way. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, Jean was amazing. Jean was responsible for Tracy and I getting to do Dragonlands. 
Oh, now that's, I was going to ask about that. How did, so tell us a little bit about how that came into play because that was, I think Dragonlance were the first fantasy novels that I really read and I yes. just fell so hardcore in love with them. But I was, I remember being nervous about them because I had read books before that had two authors and I uh, didn't think they they read as well. And so you were the first dual authored book that completely changed my <laughs> mind on reading a book that had two authors. <laughs> well, that's neat. Oh, well, it, one of, it was always one of my rules that, uh, that, you know, we would both share, but one person would do the writing. Uh, and that mainly came about because Tracy was in charge of the game at the time, and he was working on the game side, and I was working on the book side. But um, I was book editor, and I was in charge of the Dragonlance project. And the company had hired this guy, and I can't even remember his name, but they had hired him to write the book. And um, so he was submitting, he started submitting sample chapters. And we were reading them, and we did not like it. I mean, he just didn't get it. And by this time, Tracy and I, Tracy told me the story. I I had been meeting with the game group. I knew the world. I knew the characters, because they were in, right in the middle of doing the first 12 modules. And I just, I, had, I fell in love with it. And um, so Gene didn't like it either, and we were just, I mean, we had six months. We were on a deadline six months before this book was first novel was to come out. And this was a huge project for the company. Um, so Tracy and I took one weekend and we wrote the introduction and the first five chapters or the prologue in the first five chapters. I've never done that since written five chapters in pretty much two days. Uh, but that's how into it we were. Uh, and so that Monday we gave Jean what we'd written and we told her we think we should be the ones to write this book. And Jean told me years later that she really only read it because she didn't want to hurt our feelings. <laughs> so Tracy and I sat in my cube, uh, which was kind of catty corner from Jean's. Um, and we waited and then this long time passed and pretty soon Jean came to my office and she goes, Wow. She said, This is this is what we're looking for. And we said, Yes. <laughs> so they fired the other guy. Um, <laughs> he got to keep the advance because they were afraid he was going to sue. And so Tracy and I had worked on the book. We had six months. The book had to be out in six months, which meant we had three months to write it. Oh and we had wow. to keep working because he was in charge of the game. I'm a book editor. I had other books I had to edit. So we wrote at nights and on the weekends. And um, so that's, and then Jean turned out to be my editor. <laughs> it, was, it was crazy. But I ended up having to copy edit and proofread my own book. which <laughs> drove me absolutely nuts. Um, and it was, yeah, it was, it was amazing. But uh, yeah, so. And I, I will always be so grateful to TSR management that they took a chance on us. Me too. Because, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because the distributor Random House told them that nobody was going to buy this book because nobody had ever heard of it. And, um, but they did. So yeah, it was, it was, it was really a lot of fun. Those years at TSR were the best of my life. It was just amazing. I think you've just blown everybody's mind that you wrote that book that means so much to everybody in three <laughs> months and then you had to edit it by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jean edited it and then I came in back of her and uh, it was kind of heartbreaking because they <laughs> because they didn't think it was going to sell. Oh. They wanted to sell it for two ninety five. Which what? meant that it it could only be a certain length, like a certain number of pages. Oh. And so we had to cut so much to get it down to that number of pages. And 
I would really love someday to go back and write Dragons of Autumn Twilight as we envisioned it and yes. put in everything we had to cut. Uh, maybe someday. You never know. I, I vote. I vote yes for that. <laughs> <laughs> You've actually just just answered a repeat question that we've gotten like seven times. Like, would she ever revisit the Dragonlance series? Would she ever revisit the Dragonlance <laughs> yeah, what series? Would you change about that if you would change a character or if there was anything that you would change? So I, I didn't realize change, that you had. But I would certainly, I would certainly elaborate and explain. You know, uh, a lot of what uh, is just uh, kind of there and. And I read it now. In fact, I cringe when I read it now because I think, oh, my God, you know, Sturm's wandering around in armor. And what knight ever wanders around, you know, treks over the country in armor? Uh, But there was a whole reason, a whole story behind why Sturm did that based on King John in England, who actually slept in his armor uh, to toughen himself up. And wore his armor all, all around, you know, to toughen himself up. And so I thought, well, this would be definitely be something Sturm would do. Plus, with him, it would be an, uh, kind of a, a, a sacrifice, you know, yeah. that he would make or a dedication to his knighthood. So there was that whole whole thing about Sturm that never got in there. All we know is Sturm walking around this armor. <laughs> That's that's it what I read added. it. That's what I got from it was the whole uh-huh. sacrificial flailing himself. Oh well, I'm glad. Maybe subconsciously it got in there. <laughs> that's so. So I love that you you said you really were into research, and I, I, I research is terrifying for me, and so it's fun to see that you're such a you've written. I mean, you completely changed the fantasy genre, and you really like research, which. I guess really melded well together for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really does. I mean, you know, you can history is filled with just you know a little fascinating nuggets like that that you can you can put into your writing and uh, and I and I always like to talk about what the characters eat and you know sitting down to dinner that makes them human and in fantasy because you're asking the reader to suspend disbelief. So you need to give them some realistic touchstones so they can say, yeah, like these people are getting ready to go slay a dragon, but they're just going to sit down maybe and fix some soup before they leave, you know, <laughs> and what was in the soup and, you know, stuff like that. You know, in your world building, it feels like that kind of thing matters a lot just to find a way to relate to the reader so they've got something to grab onto. So that they, they yes. can kind of say, oh, okay, this is this is a world I can now envision because I also eat soup. And now... <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, too, eat soup. <laughs> it all... Yeah, um, who's, who just said it? Um, Gold Golem 33 just brought up um, Otik Spipes potatoes. And every yes. time... I'm just like, I don't know what that would taste like, but I want it in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there are lots of recipes. <laughs> we actually published uh, recipes for that in the Leaves of the End of the Last Home. Oh, my God. So, yeah, well, there are recipes. There's one really good one uh, that that I really like. It's got butter and garlic and pepper, and it's, it's really, really great. Oh, you said butter and garlic, and Ashley's yeah. face just exploded. I think I think she's on board for that one. I'll be right back. You enjoy the rest of the interview. I'm going to go make potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> so one one thing that I was actually curious about is is what was the landscape like for fantasy fiction like back in when you when you were first starting out? Like I know you said that they didn't think that your book would sell, um, but was there a huge market for it at the time? I know it's it had a resurgence for for a while, you know, and I think it's still. I mean, it's still popular, obviously. Um, but at that time, yeah. I mean, what was the what was the big thing? I don't know. I mean, there Tolkien, you know, had come out in the, in the 1960s, and and that was popular. But uh, there was like you know, Andrew Norton and Ursula Le Guin, and um, I think probably the most popular fantasy author was was Anne McCafferty, although if you she would be terribly insulted if you referred to her as a fantasy author. Uh, she thought of herself as a science fiction author. 
because her dragons were scientifically possible, according to her. Um, she was a great lady, by the way. I got a chance to meet her and uh, just super lady. But anyway, um, so yeah, fantasy was not huge, but there was, it was a genre. It certainly wasn't as big as romance novels or mysteries or anything else, but it had a, had a steady following. And of course, Dungeons and Dragons had a, had a real following at this time. So, uh, we just, you know, we happened to hit at a really good time. Yeah, for sure. For this. And it seems like that, like, D&D is a good fuel for, for a fantasy novel. I think that I've heard of plenty of D&D groups that whether it got published or not, but I've had people come to me and go, hey, I play D&D, and this guy's writing the novelization of our campaign. You're like, that's awesome. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, what had happened, Rosette had written the Endless Quest books, uh, and they had been immensely popular. I think Rose. Rosa's six endless quest books were like on the New York Times list for I don't know how long. I just one of the few authors to have multiple books on the Times list at the same time, and especially children's books because those were like the choose your own adventure. Oh, those would, were amazing. You know, you would go to one page and, you know, you'd read and then it would tell you to go to another page to find out what happened. And uh, so, yeah, so TSR had done really, really well with the other questions, which is what gave Jean the idea to put out a uh, uh, an adult novel work of fiction. Oh, that's incredible. I would definitely play a Dragonlance-based choose-your-own-adventure book. Right! I think that's, <laughs> that's what just popped in my head is I would totally do that. I never, I never successfully I completed one. There was some that were. Re- I think there was one at least that was written that was based on Dragonlance. Nice. I have to look that up. I'll Google that later. <laughs> I always cheated because I don't like not knowing the ending, so I would go through and read all the endings so I could make appropriate choices because I'm that person. <laughs> Those are really hard to write. I had to write a couple. Um, they were especially because in that day you had to the books were laid out by page, so you had to know what ending was going to fall on what page and how much room you had on that page, or you know whether you had uh, a paragraph or two paragraphs. Uh, so you had to do a tree. Um, on your your plot consisted of a tree with all the branches, various you know leading uh, every which way because Jean was insistent that you couldn't just have one one you know choice. You had to have multiple choices so that your your branch your tree had to have all sorts of branches. It was really really difficult. Oh, I can only imagine the flowchart for that. That just hurts my yeah. brain. <laughs> Are you more of a of a planner when you write, or do you just sit down and let it unfold? Oh, I do a synopsis. Oh, okay. Uh, complete synopsis of every book before I start. Um, usually they run about 40 to 50 pages. <gasps> wow! <laughs> but I, you know, generally it doesn't really follow the synopsis. You know, it's not set in stone. But at least when I start, and I work with when I work with a co-author, I work on the synopsis. We work on it together. But at least I know where I'm going when I right. start writing, um, so that you know, if you're when you reach the middle of the book and it's just like you know, none of the characters are doing what you want. And like one author told me, all his characters went out for pizza and didn't invite him. Uh, <laughs> that's when you go. You go to the synopsis and you say, okay, this is what you people need to be doing, or at least some semblance of this, so we can get to the next stage, you know. Uh, and it really, for me, it really helps. Yeah, I, I, I can definitely sympathize with you there, because <laughs> anytime I try to write anything, I'm like, outline, at least like a basic <laughs> idea, where Ashley, when yeah. she writes, she just, she's one of those, let the characters write the story, so she's I just do what they, I think they would do at that moment in time, and... <laughs> Both both methods provide a certain degree of magic. You know, it's just it's, yeah. it just yeah. depends on what your brain wants to do, right? 
Uh, hey, I think well, my I brain saying, is a kinder. I'm sorry. <laughs> you need to listen to your characters. You know, I would say your characters, you're the parent and they're the children. And you need to respect them and listen to them and give them a certain amount of freedom. But at the end, you're the parent. You know what's best. That's fantastic. That's the most quotable thing <laughs> I've, I've ever heard. I'm going to write that down <laughs> somewhere. Because <laughs> they really are. You want to allow them to breathe, but you need them to do their job at the same time. Right. That's right. great. Are your characters, I know I know, like they were originally based on the, the, the campaign you guys are playing, um, but are they are they oh, based no, on? No, no. Oh, I'm incorrect. Yes, that's, please stop me. <laughs> that's no. Characters came up with the first three characters when after Tracy was hired at TSR and Simmer were living in Utah time, and she had they had been publishing adventures, uh, Rahazia. Uh, Pharaoh, uh, based on Indeed, but they knew nothing about copyright law, so they were just them. And one day they got a call from Sarah who said, Look, you know, we've got these modules, you're supposed to be doing this, we can either sue you or hire you. And we went for the hype. So Tracy, they packed up the kids and drove from Utah to Wisconsin to go to work. And in the drive, they came up with tennis for Kitiara and the basis for the drive area, a world where knights rode on drive. And um, so then when they got to TSI, Tracy presented the Agamemnons to management, and they loved it. They, they thought it was really neat. So that was when they formed the idea that they would do 12 modules based on this, based in this world, based on the story that Tracy and Laura had, and now the game design team was involved in this too, based on a story they were creating. Um, and so, because they were doing an adventure module, Dragonlance was the first in a lot of ways. It was the first uh, role-playing modules that had pejorative characters. And the reason they did this is because they had set storyline the characters needed to follow. So that's where you got Tannis, Laronica, Terraman, Grace, One Storm. They were all started as characters in the Edgerton model. Well, when they hired me, my job was to take these characters and give them life. And have not plot for the novel because you had to fill down, you know, the plot extended over all these uh, modules. So, yeah, so that's where the characters came from. Uh, we played, I think, twice, twice tested. Uh, and one of those, the character Bapu, came out. Tracy Raceland had cast a spell on this group of gully dwarves. <laughs> uh, to try to charm spell to try to get them to tell something and this one actually made its way into the book and one of the gully dwarves looked at him and says oh I love you I want to take you home to mother and that was Bapu so Here's a that rat. was how the character Bapu kid. and the rat yeah that's how that all came that's amazing but, uh, <laughs> but yeah the kidders and then Larry painted the characters. He did, he, and so when I was writing, I based my description characters on Larry's artwork, Larry's paintings, uh, is how Raceland came about, pretty much, um, because I knew Raceland was a third wage, because they put all the words yet. I knew he was the third level mate. I knew how to fly one, and I knew he was kind of sick and weak, and he had this twin brother, Carolyn. And so I was, we were meeting with the game group one day, and um, I said, okay, why does Ray 
of golden skin and hourglass eyes because that Larry had painted him in, in the pictures. And, um, and so the, the, well, Larry thought it would look cool. So, <laughs> okay. It does, but I had to come up with a reason. Why? Why does Graceland have golden skin and hourglass eyes? Oh. And so I said, well, it must have something to do with his magic. And then I thought, well, what if to become a maid, you had to take a test? Because magic would be so powerful that wizards just wouldn't want to let anybody run around you know, practicing it. They'd try to control it. And so what if this test, you had to be willing to bet your life that you would pass. Otherwise, failure meant death. So then I thought, well, Rayson is willing to do this because he wants the power. But how is Perriman going to feel about this? And this, this twin brother of his that he's taken care of his life. So that immediately set up the whole codependent relationship between Rayson and his brother. And um, that's, so that's how that came about. That's amazing. <laughs> minds like minds are blowing. Yeah, you're yeah. like just. This is an amazing conversation. <laughs> Working backwards from from a painting is just that's the coolest thing I think I've ever heard. And I, I I love the whole the whole your your life is in danger during this test aspect of it. Like that's so, uh-huh. that's uh-huh. so cool. High so stakes. We... <laughs> yes. Very. I do want to ask you a couple questions that, that people have been um, asking. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> now the dogs are in the conversation. Oh, that's They're like, okay. hey, we heard Flyball. Yeah, we heard you said hello. Well, they heard, a, they heard something outdoors and they thought it was thunder. Oh, so, they don't like thunder. Clancy uh, um, thinks somebody is trying to break into the house, and then he starts talking. <laughs> no, you're going to stay. You're going to wait. I'm going to go upstairs where I can hear. No, no, no. You wait. <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing. They're like, but mom, we're here to protect you. Uh, Thor is trying oh, to break God. in again. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think we're good. That's so funny. No, uh-huh. no, no worries. Um, actually, yeah, you were saying. Well, I, I have a quick question about Taz because I, he is my just, he's, if if I could make Taz a person and have him be my best uh-huh. friend, I would. I don't care if he stole all my jewelry <laughs> or he, if I misplaced all of my jewelry and it happened to fall into his bags, how did, because I've, I've seen you say that you're a kinder. How did Taz's personality evolve? Because he's just so oh my God, he's just so perfect and he makes me want to cry because he's wonderful. Uh, actually, Roger Moore wrote the first story about Tasselhoff. Oh, uh, okay. Roger was the editor of Dragon Magazine and a great, great writer. Um, but Hal Johnson came up with the character of Tess. He was part of the gang group. We were looking for, they wanted uh, a diminutive character that would be like a hobbit, but not a hobbit. Right. So they came up with the race Kender. And, and they decided that um, Kender would uh, would be a thieving. Thieves. <laughs> but Tracy objected to them on moral grounds. <clears throat> so Tracy said, okay, what if we have them steal, not for greed, but out of curiosity? Oh. So that's how Kendra were born. That uh, and they had no fear. And basically, Kendra were created to, you know, really get the party into a lot of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, uh, Roger, we were writing short stories about Dragonlance for Dragon Magazine. Uh, to promote uh, the product, and I wrote The Test of the Twins. That was the first short story about Dragonlance that ever appeared in Dragon and got more mail than any other story they had ever published. And then Roger wrote the Tasselhoff story. It's called A Stone Throw, and I think we later published it in one of the anthologies. 
and he was the one who um, who kind of established the character of Tasselhoff. And then I took from what Roger had about Tasselhoff, and I added a little bit of Harpo Marx and the child actress Margaret O'Brien. She was in Meet Me in St. Louis. Um, anyway. She can, in that movie, she can tell the most outrageous lies with an absolutely straight face, and I love that. <laughs> so yeah, so that's that's kind of where that's where Tasselhoff came from. That's so awesome. He reminds me of like I've Stephen's got a son; he's three and a half, and he's my nephew. And it just he reminds me of just a pure-hearted child with maybe a little less impulse control. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's where the no was, fear comes from. He's a lot of fun to write. Yeah, he's a lot of fun to write. He really is. Oh, oh that's wonderful. Well, as Ashley was saying, I know we don't want to keep you all night, but we did want to ask you a few um, questions that came from the audience and Twitter and various places. So if you want to quick fire these, it's fine. If you have a long story and you want to share, that's great too. We've got forever. Uh, uh, okay. <laughs> so, um, so let's see. Uh, so Kelly wanted to know... Um, which world was your favorite in the Death Gate cycle? Oh, wow! <laughs> I know, I know which one I hated, <laughs> and that was Firesy. Um, I that world was so depressing. I was really, really unhappy that I thought up the whole bit about the shuffling corpses and the animated dead and everything else. I just, I, that's the only book that I was ever depressed having to get up and write that book every morning. Um, so yeah, so that was, that was the world I hated. <laughs> I think that's probably, and I think the other, after that, the other worlds were great. You know, I had no problem. <laughs> It's like I love all the worlds but that one. That one compared to the dead corpses, the rest were fantastic. Yeah, yeah I can imagine that would bring you into a, a brain space that may not be the most yeah. fun. <laughs> <laughs> um and we got this one, let's see, from uh from Al Rock seventy four in our chat room. He said, uh be- beyond the be- beyond the famous D and D game session that inspired the Chronicles, did you ever hold any other game sessions to figure out plots, characters, etc. for later stories? Um, well, of course, I, like we said, that really, it didn't come out of a game session. Right. I, as uh, I was reading, I, I realized this is what we just <laughs> talked about, and this is inaccurate. So, no, not really. The problem with trying to build a plot off a game is that plots need to have rising and falling action that builds, you know, through the book to the climax. If you look at a, at the kind of a plot chart of a game it's sort of like the action goes up down up down up down um and it doesn't make for a very good plot uh i prefer more to and i don't get to game role play anymore hardly at all uh just a gary con every year but i prefer more to take um scenes you know like bapu or episodes from a game Rather than try to get it, try to you know recreate the plot. No, that's pretty. That's that's pretty cool. That that makes a lot of sense um, for mm-hmm. sure. Um, one other one, Papa Beard K. He says, uh, "Are there any fantasy characters that you saw that made you go, wow, man? I wish I had thought of that.'" <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I really don't read fantasy. Um, I read Tolkien. And, of course, I just loved it. I read that when I was in college in the 60s when it was sweeping across the country and all of us college students were reading it. Uh, And I never really found any fantasy that I liked after that. And now um, I need to hear my own voice in my head. I don't want to hear George R.R. Martin or anybody Uh... else. so. So I just, I try to avoid fantasy. I read lots of other stuff but just not that. That's cool. That's that, actually yeah, cool that information. Because yeah. me and Ash talk about that all uh-huh. the time. When when writing while reading something, you may, like, say you switch uh-huh. from reading Pride and Prejudice to reading, <laughs> like, some grim dark fantasy. And, like, if you're writing uh-huh. one story while you're reading those two books, the amazing, the tone, the tonal shift Shit. that you do without <laughs> even realizing it 
is incredible. <laughs> yeah, you. Uh, I think re- because reading is so very personal, and it's a reading is a contract between you and the author, um, and uh, and I think it gets into your it gets into your head. Yeah, it, music does that too. I feel like. Yeah, mm-hmm. music. Both those, both those feels like all art kind of works its yeah. way into your brain to some degree right. where it's influencing you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's an amazing thing. It's one of the reasons we love doing the show and talking to creators like yourself is uh, mm-hmm. is just being able to see like how that art has affected your life and <laughs> and where it takes you. To look at your brains. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little. Graphic, By the way, that yeah. that last the last question. Sorry, was from a Quiet Pirate. Um, I wanted to make sure we got that right. And then Alrock74, he had asked if you could go back and change one thing in the Dragonlance series, what would that be? Oh, like I say, I'd love to rewrite, particularly Dragonlance, uh, Dragons of Autumn Twilight. I'd like to write the, rewrite those first three books and put in everything we had to take out and expand it. Oh, that would be amazing. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the next question everybody wants to know is, when can you do that? <laughs> <laughs> what can we do to well, help that thing become a reality? <laughs> well, you know, like I say, we're, uh, we're, we're, uh, we're talking about it. Let's put it that way. <laughs> not that necessary, not that necessarily, but, but we're talking that's that's fair. I was gonna say you're you're more than welcome to just tell everybody to pound sand, and you're <laughs> <laughs> if you want to, because Lord knows that you probably get that question every time you walk into a convention. <laughs> <laughs> well, Margaret, this has been a wonderful conversation. Ashley, did you have any any last minute questions or? Uh, <laughs> I'm just I'm so thankful you came on here. I when I read those books, it just. It was I, I it was a completely different style of writing and just seeing somebody put their thoughts on paper and with all the little parenthetical asides, I loved that because I felt like <laughs> all your characters were so different and had such individual characteristics and to balance all of that completely blew my mind and I may have fangirled out a little bit when you said you would come on the show. (laughs) Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. It was, it was certainly a labor of love and lots of fun. Oh, for sure. Do you have anything right now that you'd like to promote to everybody? Let tell them you've got something coming or you books out that you'd like them to know about. Well, the new the second book in the dragon Corsair series is just out called privateer. The first book is spy master. Second book is, um, uh, privateer and just finished the third book uh, called Kingmaker um, so I just finished that and uh, now that I finished it I have to go back to the beginning and completely rewrite it from beginning to end but oh lord <laughs> it's finished <laughs> and so hopefully that'll be out sometime next year and then I do have a very special project after that but I can't tell you about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, please don't give us any of the secrets. We're not good secret keepers. <laughs> don't tell us anything we shouldn't know. No, that's that's super exciting. You are just churning out works like a machine. I have no idea how you do it. It's it's never stop. It's easy to see like you you truly have a passion for this. As hard as it is for most people to uh, sit down and write anything, like I, I'm it's amazing to see that you you can just churn out stories and it speaks to something deep inside, you know, you that you can do that. Well, that and I have four dogs to support. <laughs> <laughs> For Were sure. Were the dogs more expensive than your girls? <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for hanging out with us, Margaret. You have, you have certainly made some dreams come true. Uh, just being able to talk to you in here. Hear what you what you're doing and, and how it all came about, and for being our first uh, actual guest on our new uh, our new show, Creator Crush. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. It was, it's been lots of fun, and thank everybody that wrote in questions. I appreciate it. Awesome, you're the best. Well, we will we will let you have your evening back, and you can go calm your dogs and tell them Thor is not coming <laughs> yeah. to to burn down your house, yeah. and everything's going to be fine. We always hope. all right margaret thank you so much for being with us okay thank (laughs) you Bye. bye
Oh boy, that was a good time, Smash. I'm a die. That was a great, I cannot believe, uh, oh man, Margaret Weiss, dude, the mother of dragons, Dragon Lance. Like oh, the true mother of dragons. The true, real mother of dragons. I, I am just tickled to death that she came on the show for our very first creator crush. Ashley, I know you're dying. I'm, I'm dying. I'm amazed <laughs> at, uh, at her in general and, and all the things that she's, she was working on and, and just the, the, some of the rumors that were squashed just in talking to her, like, and she was so well spoken too. She was so much fun, and she had such ah, I love her. I'm, su- <laughs> and she is great, man. We are just, we're super excited to have this show. Uh, yeah, we- thank you guys for coming in and hanging out. Like this is, I we, I love being able to ask her the questions that you guys were shooting because it's stuff that Stephen and I wouldn't have thought about. Oh yeah, no, you guys, you guys, thank you to the chat. Thank you to everybody on Twitter, Instagram, everywhere that contributed questions to the show. Um, you guys are amazing. Well, Creator Crush is week. here to stay. Uh, next week, we're going to be joined by two game developers uh, who worked on numerous projects. Their most recent one being Tanzia, a PC game just recently ported to the Switch. Um, it's the indie game. It's got like kind of a wow feel. It's an RPG. It's kind um, of like like a really cute wow light. Yes, yes. It's a very cute wow light, but it's single player. Yes. Uh, but it's... We're excited to talk to them because they made a game, and we like people who make stuff and are really into making that stuff. So and Jason and Matthias are, are really fun. Oh, we're gonna have a great time. So tune in next week, uh, Wednesday. We're gonna move the show to Wednesday at 9 p.m. You guys, uh, but until then, man, this has been Creator Crush with Margaret Weiss. We're both gonna go die now. Yeah.